Welcome to Evolutions of Astrology. In today's podcast, we'll be looking at the planetary forecast for the coming week up to the full moon in Sagittarius. In the second portion of the show, I'll be interviewing astrologer Sean Clark, and we'll be talking about the Saturn-Neptune opposition and how it's affecting us on the collective and in individual charts. This week's planetary forecast began with the sun moving into Gemini on Monday, May 21st, and then goes on to highlight many Mercury aspects this week. Uh, Mercury is the planet that rules Gemini, so any kind of aspects happening between that planet and other planets this week are going to be magnified in their intensity. The first Mercury aspect is Mercury trying Neptune on Wednesday the 23rd. This will be good for imagination, uh, particularly if you're an artist or someone that works with words. And this is going to help you with tapping into your intuition and bringing that together with your mind. And since Neptune rules the imagination, uh, you can see how this would really enhance any kind of um, modality which requires you to use your mind in combination with imagination. Going on to Wednesday, the 24th, we've got three major planetary aspects happening that are not related to the moon. So these are important. Um, The moon is making aspects all the time, but planetary aspects are more notable when they're between the planet and another planet. The first one up is Saturn squared Jupiter, which happens at 524 p.m., And we'll be talking a lot about Saturn later in the show with Sean, but just for a brief overview, Saturn has to do with structure, foundation, discipline, and maturity. And so when you combine those things with Jupiter, it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition because Jupiter has to do with growth and expansion, which seem rather contradictory to Saturn's need for structure and uh, its more rigid approach. So that aspect happening on Wednesday uh, could bring into question areas of where you need to cut back and where you need to extend yourself further. Uh, could also be helpful in setting boundaries in a healthier way. And also Saturn square Jupiter can bring more structure to those things you're trying to grow. For example, if you're trying to uh, start a new venture, or particularly a business venture, um, it's a good time to get the uh, kind of all the dots, uh, the I's dotted and the T's crossed and make sure that everything is in order and you're not being overly optimistic in some regard, which can be uh, Jupiter's tendency to have kind of an over sense of, of optimism. The next planetary event of that day is Neptune turning retrograde, which happens at 6.01 p.m. And when these outer planets turn retrograde, they do so for several months out of the year. This is different from the Mercury retrograde, which many people have heard of, and that happens about three times a year for three and a half weeks per event. Um, The outer planets tend to go retrograde and then stay that way for several months. The next aspect that happens that day is Venus trying Uranus at about 11.40 p.m. So Venus rules not only romantic relationships, but also our uh, sense of financial abundance, our connection to resources and wealth. And that's making a trine, which is a harmonious aspect, to Uranus. Uranus is the planet of change and revolution. And so I see with this aspect the potential to revolutionize our relationship to resources, to finances, and to relationship. 
The next aspect that happens this week is this coming Sunday with Mercury opposing Pluto in the morning of that day. So Mercury rules communication. As I mentioned earlier, it's the ruler of the sign Gemini, and it's opposing Pluto. When you combine those two, I see the opportunity for authentic communication, often challenging authentic communication. So take care that if you're going to engage in a dialogue with someone, not only that you're honest, but that you are careful and precise with your words. Um, there could be the tendency here to cause uh, hurt feelings or to be too strong with your words or too intense. So just watch that um, for any uh, possibility of conflict there. But it's not a bad time to dialogue. It's just that you want to be sure that you're being clear and precise and not provoking uh, someone intentionally. The moon's movements this week are as follows. The week begins with the moon in Leo from Monday through Wednesday. Moon in Leo is generally a good time for creative endeavors, and it's also a good time to just play and have some leisure time and to rejuvenate yourself. The moon then moves into Virgo on Wednesday morning. Moon in Virgo is a great time for work, detailed and focused work, uh, anything that requires your time and attention to be very focused like a laser beam on one thing. So, for example, I use it as a good time to do schoolwork, things where I'm having to write, things where I'm having to be precise, and where I'm needing to have a mind that is really focused. Following that, on Friday evening, the moon moves into Libra, and this is a beautiful aspect for the weekend. It's going to be there through Sunday, and Libra is the sign of partnership and relationships, so this would be a perfect romantic weekend. Um, this would be a time to get away with your partner or a best friend or someone. It doesn't have to be just romance, but it can be time to build relationships and get close to another. Following that, the moon then moves into Scorpio on Monday, about 10 a.m. Moon in Scorpio is a time, again, of intensity. We talked a little bit about the Mercury-Pluto aspect before that's happening on Sunday. Pluto is the ruler of Scorpio. And so imagine some of those energies of authenticity and intensity uh, then following through into Monday and Tuesday as the moon will be in Scorpio at that time. So we, we tend to pull in a little bit more and maybe get a little bit more quiet and reflective with ourselves during a moon in Scorpio period. And it's a good time also to just be, um, be solitary, be alone with your emotions. And that leads to the moon in Sagittarius, which happens on Wednesday morning. And it's going to be there all day on Wednesday and then leading up to the blue moon, which is the full moon on Thursday. So that period is a lift in mood. Moon in Sagittarius time tends to be very optimistic. It tends to feel very hopeful. Uh, Jupiter rules Sagittarius. And so we talked about some of those uh, qualities of Jupiter as being about expansion and growth and optimism. And so those same qualities are present in Sagittarius. So that full moon in Thursday could be a great time to celebrate something, to celebrate some hard work that you've done to open up to having a bit more fun. I just have a feeling that's going to be a really good uh, period to be social and to be around other people to, uh, to celebrate in some way. And the blue moon means that it's the second full moon in the month. So we had a full moon at the very beginning of May, and then this will be the second one at the end of May, the last day. So those are the key planetary aspects and movements of the moon to know about between now and the full moon. 
If you've been enjoying this podcast, you'll also want to check out evolutionsofastrology.com. There you can subscribe to my monthly newsletter and find out more about my classes and astrology readings. I'm available to do readings via phone or in person, and all readings include a CD recording of the session. To contact me, you can reach me through the website at www.evolutionsofastrology.com. So I'm here with Sean Clark, and we're going to talk about outer planetary transits, particularly Saturn and Neptune. And Sean has an extensive background in astrology and other studies. Um, Sean, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, um, like you say, I have a a pretty interesting background. Um, I studied astrology in uh, Chicago. Mm -hmm. I've been uh, working as as an astrologer for about 12 years now. Mm -hmm. And um, my specialty is uh, working with how individual charts uh, mix with individual charts and also how an individual can get uh, farther and deeper along their spiritual and psychological development. So where are the breakthroughs and how do we work with them? Great. And if people want to know more about you, um, can they find you? Yes, uh, I have a website. And it's, uh, it's the website is uh, Whirling Pearls. Whirling like something going really fast and pearls like the things you find inside of oysters. Um, and that's uh, whirlingpearls.com. Uh, and uh, you can find the website there and contact information, and I'm always happy to talk to people. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. And I guess the first place I'd like to go is uh, I've been looking a lot at the Saturn-Neptune aspect that's happening, the opposition that's Mm -hmm. been affecting us for quite a while. Mm -hmm. In fact, since last summer, Mm -hmm. it started to come in. And I think it's affecting us on the collective, and then also it's affecting people in terms of their natal charts, Mm -hmm. depending on where those planets fall. Mm -hmm. So from your astrological perspective, how do you view those two planets and their archetypes um, on the collective level? Mm -hmm. And then how would you bring that down to applying it to an individual's chart? Okay, that's, um, um, let's start with the planets in question, mm-hmm. and then I want to look at the signs in question, because I think that these particular signs right now are uh, very important for what's going on collectively. Mm-hmm. So with Saturn and Neptune opposing each other, what we really have is an expansion in consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the uh, day when astrology was really brought into its own as a science, um, it wasn't used for individuals, it was used for the court. Right. So what we're talking, it was used to, to forecast the charts of nations and the charts of the king. And uh, this was uh, at the beginning of the Renaissance, and through that time period, uh, through that whole age, Saturn was the king of the chart. Saturn was the top of the chart. It was the outermost planet that was known. Right. And it recognized the stability and the, uh, the law, sort of like the law of God. Because now, is this because it was at the end mm-hmm. of what we knew, right? This yep. was, it was of the seven visible planets. Yep. It was the outermost. It was the outermost, and it was considered to be um, the responsible king or the elder king yes. uh, that would capstone the entire process. Um, now, we can view this as the law of, of God. 
um, because this was also a very Christian-centric world. And the law of God was very unforgiving and very uh, demanding for you to do your part in the great plan and nothing more and to do it to the best of your ability. And this was kind of the mindset that was going on during that entire time period. And only now are we starting to break free of that time mm -hmm. period. Since then, new planets have been discovered, and the way astrologers, um, at least the ones that I studied with when I was, um, when I was doing my, um, I guess you could say internship, is um, that as the new planets were discovered, the human race was able to access deeper and deeper parts of its essence. So for example, when the planet Uranus, which was the first of the outer planets to be discovered, when it was discovered within... 60 years, we had revolutions in every major European uh, country, which was the whole world, as far as we were concerned, right? including America and France. But those are just the two most visible. And what, weren't those the two closest to uh, the discovery time of Uranus? Yes. Yeah. Uh, those two. Yeah. Yep. yep. And uh, but, you know, one thing that, that we sometimes forget is that England also went through a revolution. What was to become Germany, that area went through a revolution. All of these areas went through revolutions, and it was the revolution trying to shake off the monarchy and trying to bring in um, what would become democracy, which is personal accountability, which is what Uranus is all about. Right. So within the first uh, generation or two of Uranus's discovery, Uranus's influence uh, becomes a direct piece of, of the human consciousness. Now, we've been trying to develop that ever since. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then the next planet out is Neptune. Um, and that's the next planet that got discovered. Now, Neptune is all about altered states of consciousness and spiritual uh, awakening, and it deals with a very murky uh, subject matter. So if Saturn is perceived to be the lawgiver, Uranus comes along and says, no, it's the individual that needs to be important. Mm -hmm. Now, Neptune comes along and Neptune says things that we can barely understand. <laughs> let's, look at Neptune, let's look at Neptune's discovery, for example. Neptune was discovered twice. Mm -hmm. Neptune was discovered by, well, there were two, there was actually a lot of individuals looking for a planet that wasn't supposed to be there. Right. The scientists of the day were split down the middle between the opinion that the area of space where Neptune is, they half, the, half of them said, no, no, there's, there's nothing there. And the other half said, well, we can't prove that there's anything there, but we think that there is. Mm -hmm. And so the race was on, but it was a really quiet race. <laughs> and so two individuals from very different areas of the world, uh, of, of the Western world, uh, found Neptune, and they found it without really any ability for them to talk to each other. Right. And they found it like within weeks. And it just happened to be that the one who got the uh, scientific acknowledgement first, after years and years and years of study, this was the person who got the credit. But the other person did the same amount of work, and they were literally just a step behind right. in discovering Neptune. So this gives us a piece of, uh, of, of um, insight into Neptune's characteristics. Ne Neptune is never straightforward. Neptune always deals with, um, with the murky, right? So they're looking for a planet that's not supposed to be there, that actually, you know, it becomes real out of the blue. Um, and if the, if the person who discovered it hadn't discovered it, it would have been discovered within a week or two anyway, because someone else had already been spending their life trying to find it. <laughs> 
Right. So within the first two generations of Neptune's discovery, what do we have? We have fiction authors who tell us that you can take a, a sailing ship and fly it to the moon. You have uh, uh, also fiction stories that deal with going and finding uh, uh, worlds uh, underneath uh, our own um, cave worlds that lead to caves that lead to civilizations that live underground. We had, you know, just this um, heyday of scientific uh, exploration that was on the verge of being mad scientist. You know, you had the race for this substance called phlogiston, which was going on in the world of physics. Mm -hmm. Phlogiston was supposed to be an invisible, nearly weightless substance that exits a body when it's destroyed. They thought that it was the soul and that if they could measure it, they could measure spirit um, uh, matter, whatever you would call that, that they would be able to measure it as it left the body. Only when the next planet out was discovered, which is Pluto, it does that heyday stop. Then mm -hmm. something very different starts and the world becomes a much more serious place and a much more dangerous place. But for a great while, um, at, the end, at the beginning of the 20th century, um, which was just after Neptune was discovered, we had some really wacky things going on. Yeah. And it was really that whole movement, too, during the 19th century of the Romantics, the Romantic movement in poetry, art, and literature. Uh, as you say, fiction writers, um, the novel as a form really came to rise right around the time of that discovery. Mm -hmm. um, so I think living in the world of the imagination, living in the, in the other world, is really part of that Neptunian influence. Mm -hmm. So it synced mm -hmm. up with that at that time. I would agree, I yeah. would agree. So when Neptune has a, a major transit, what happens is that Neptune applies its murky, um, uh, some would say confusing, others would say mystical nature onto the planet that it's affecting. So in this case, it's applying all that energy direct directly at um, Saturn. Mm -hmm. And as we may or may not know, uh, a, that's essentially what an opposition is, is it's so much of the energy is being directly uh, shown uh, onto the object that the object um, almost has to cover its eyes because it's too bright. Uh -huh. And the, um, the funny thing is this, that the object that's doing that, that's receiving the brilliant uh, bathing of the light of the first planet is also brilliantly bathing the, the, the first planet in its own light. So they're doing it to each other. It's like they've both turned on their fog lights and they're directly shining them at each other. And so it creates all this tension. Mm -hmm. So Neptune's, the, the source of the tension from Neptune's perspective is uh, diversifying, it is mystifying, it is um, uh, spreading out the logic and t trying to turn the logic into mystical understandings and possibilities. Um, it's uh, like Neptune is trying to get Saturn drunk. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. And then vice versa. It's hard to get a king drunk, though. It is very hard to get a king <laughs> drunk, especially when the king has titles such as Father Time. Right. Right. Supposedly, Saturn's been there, done that for all things. Mm -hmm. But Neptune is farther out. And so from the psychological perspective, that means Neptune is both deeper and older than Saturn. So right. we could say that Saturn is the chief of the form. Saturn is the physical body and it's the ticking of time. Mm -hmm. It forms um, ultimate uh, um, solid state and it wants to stay in a solid state. Neptune comes from a place before that. 
It comes from before matter was created, so it's almost like the imagination before the body. And so, um, so if, if Neptune is washing Saturn in this imagination, well, Saturn is also washing Neptune in this rational demanding. It demands for things to be rational and orderly. It demands for things to be understood and um, put into a, uh, a step framework so that you can use the steps to climb to your goal. Right. So you could almost say that, um, that Saturn is the goat climbing up the hill you know, up up the rocky hill, and uh, and it's trying to go forward. It's not interested in this, you know, mystical stuff. And as the goat is climbing up the hill, um, we see Neptune in the form of a fog, or maybe even a little bird who's trying to flutter around and give Saturn tips on how to climb. And Saturn's not terribly interested in the tips <laughs> because if it stops to try to learn the tips, it's convinced that it won't be able to go forward. So um, they're having an argument. One's saying no things need to be tried, true, and rational mm -hmm. on the one side. And the other, are, the other voice in the argument is saying things, no, they don't need to be rational. They can be any way that they want. Here, let me show you the possibilities. And the two of them are just, just having this argument. Right, right. So as you see this transit happening um, on the collective, and I, I'll just reiterate the dates that it's uh, been going on, it started in last summer. Uh, there was a peak last August. And then uh, by a peak, I mean a hit. The first hit was last August. Then we had January. And now the last hit, and usually there's three passes with these kinds of oppositions and aspects, is going to be June of this year. Mm -hmm. Although it's really an orb of influence all of the first part of this year, mm -hmm. of 2007, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. So as you see that playing out on the collective, what kind of things are you seeing and are you looking for? Well, one of the things that comes to mind for me is the notion of leadership. Because mm -hmm. um, wherever, uh, wherever, okay, so Saturn is in the sign of, of the leader. Right. Uh, Neptune is in the sign of the individual. Mm -hmm. So the individual is trying to find their way to personal freedom, and the leader is trying to find their way to collective freedom. In this case, Saturn is trying to lead us all out of danger. Mm -hmm. So let's look at what's going, what's going on with the country right now. Mm-hmm. We are getting ready to move into a presidential um, election that should be pretty important, I would think. Yes. And um, let's look at what Saturn is trying to do about that. It's trying to make the person that gets elected, um, it's, uh, it's trying to make the candidates the most logical, rational candidates possible. We've got to do it so that we win. We've got to do it so that it's stable, so that um, our agenda, whoever we are, Mm-hmm wins so both sides all parties are trying to do this right now and they're trying to muster their candidates forward right and ne there's a lot of energy on it for both sides mm -hmm. yeah yep neptune on the other side is saying well why can't our candidates be something a little more progressive mm -hmm. so we're seeing a um we're seeing a, a a woman being put up uh as a potential candidate we're also seeing us uh and uh, somebody who's not caucasian primarily, mm -hmm. who's actually, whose father was Muslim, yeah. being put up as a candidate. Those seem like very Neptunian alternatives to me. Yes. And so we've got the tried and true coming into a direct argument with the, um, the what if factor. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's how it's, that's one of the ways it's playing out societally for our, for our nation. Mm -hmm. and, and going back to that notion of leadership, 
Um, I, something that comes to mind is uh, Tony Blair's recent kind of demise and stepping down from leadership um, and how he as a leader, you know, started out with kind of a lot of promise and hope uh, around his uh, prime ministership. And we just kind of saw the disintegration mm-hmm. of that over the past couple of years. And now we see this leader stepping down voluntary, voluntarily, which is very Neptunian in a way. It's uh-huh. like kind of the giving up, the yeah. surrender, mm-hmm. that kind of I surrender, <laughs> yep. Dorothy, you know, this yeah. is over. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Your your astrologer's brain takes it to the Neptune side. Mm-hmm. Uh, my astrologer's brain takes it to the Saturn side. Mm-hmm. So not talking about this opposition, but just talking about Saturn being in in uh, Leo. Yeah. What we find is that uh, Saturn has been in Leo for what about a year now? Right. Okay. It'll stay in Leo for about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with with a bit of ish on either side of mm-hmm. those dates. I think it actually goes into Virgo towards the end of this year. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so um, what that what Saturn does in Leo all by itself, without the help of Neptune or any other aspecting planet, is it brings questions about leadership leadership in any capacity right it brings those questions to the forefront and has us examine them harshly mm-hmm. and by us i mean any group has to do it any individual has to do it and it appears that tony blair couldn't couldn't survive the uh the ruler the king the disciplinarian who are all these are all names for saturn coming home to to ask him if he's been being a good a good leader mm-hmm. apparently his his uh, um, scrutiny was a little too tough for him to stay in office. And this isn't, you know, I'm not trying to comment on his character. I'm simply sure. saying that when Saturn comes home, wherever it comes home to, uh, you get a um, a significant um, dressing down mm-hmm. to find out if you've been doing okay. So Saturn as associated with karma is one way yeah. of looking at it. Yep, Saturn associated with karma. Saturn associated with um, daddy's coming home. Uh, you've been it's Friday night. Parents have been out uh, doing you know whatever it is that they're doing. You're ten, and your dad's driving up, and whatever it was you were supposed to do, you no longer have time to do. And so <laughs> Saturn's questions are going to be very simple. I think we all remember that feeling. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. It starts with "Did you?" and it follows up with "Why not?" Mm-hmm. and uh, continues with "And what are you going to do about it?" Mm-hmm. and is, has very little room for excuses. Right, right. So um, I guess you know from there, I'd like to look at how is this playing out for individuals that you're mm-hmm. seeing with your clients, uh, people you know, people particularly that have planets at these points in the chart mm-hmm. um, right now Saturn is at 19 degrees Leo and Neptune is at 22 degrees Aquarius mm-hmm. but Saturn's been kind of slowly going back and forth around those points uh, throughout the past year yes and so people particularly with planets at those points but also aspecting making mm-hmm. especially hard aspects to yeah. those points so by hard aspects I mean opposition square or even the conjunction mm-hmm. um, so yeah. yeah so let's start with what I, what I what I think I might like to do with this uh, this is a great question is look at uh, Saturn in Leo mm-hmm. then Neptune in Aquarius so let's start with Saturn um, in Leo 
So, uh, where if you've got something in Leo, unless there's some other thing going on, like if it's in an interesting house arrangement or it's got some aspects that are clearly changing this uh, natural characteristic, um, then what you have is this is the planet of leadership. So if you've got your moon in Leo, that means that your emotional being is is, ara is around the idea. You've, your, your emotional self has been created around the idea of being a, a leader and a role model and an actor and a doer and also having a good time because let's remember that Leo rules the fifth house mm -hmm. and from the fifth house we get things like partying yeah. and having fun. Um, so Leo is certainly not all um, all work and no play. Um, I um, some of the some of the hardiest partiers I know are Leos. <laughs> they do it in a way that's a little more responsible than some of the other partiers because they're they're leading even in their partyship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've known those kind of Leos. Mm -hmm. You know, both Sun and Moon Leo people. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that's the person you want to have hosting your birthday party. Yeah, especially if they like you. They maintain a certain amount of control within that uh, ability to lose control. Mm -hmm. Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep, and that's a good way to describe it. I would absolutely go with that. So, if so, let's say your moon's in Leo, your emotions are going to be um, coming out in this way. Mm -hmm. If your Mercury is in Leo, this is how you think and how you talk. So it's got a bit of that. Uh, let me guide you. Let me lead you. Let me show you kind mm -hmm. of way. And if it's if it's a, a Mercury that's under a hard aspect, it might come across a little forceful. If it's a Mercury that's under a soft aspect, it might come across uh, more gentle and more compassionate. Right. And again, this just depends on who you are. So in any case, whatever you have in Leo, it either has been tested and that testing is done and it happened sometime over the past year or it is being tested and it'll last another couple of months or it will be tested and it'll start in a couple of months and last almost a year. So wherever the planet that you have in Leo is, um, it, Saturn has either gone already over it, it is going over it, or it's about to. And the reason we can be so general about that is because uh, Saturn happens to be um, it's just about halfway through, right. just over halfway through. So if you've got Venus at the beginning of Leo, whatever it was that Saturn was going to do uh, to or for your Venus has already happened. Whereas if your Venus is at the end of Leo, you're just starting to feel um, the outer edges of the of the transit. Right. Now, um, whatever Saturn, let's, so let's just say that whatever Saturn is doing to a planet that you have in Leo, what it's doing is it's it's bringing the energy of that planet back in upon itself. Mm -hmm. It's acting as a gravity well. And so if your Mercury happens to be a Mercury that spreads out and you do all kinds of fun stuff with your Mercury, Saturn's going to ask you for a period of time to bring it all in so it can all be examined. Mm -hmm. Equally so with your Venus, it's going to bring in your relationships and it's going to make you be a little more steady and a little more strong with your relationships with uh, something like Jupiter. Um, you know, it's going to bring in your expansion, which is going to feel a little weird. It might feel like a lack of energy, right. but within that you will be able to find a uh, structure that will give you the uh, give you a longer staying power. Mm -hmm. So first thing that Saturn does upon a conjunction is it pulls the energy in and then the second thing it does is it reorders it so that it's more efficient. Right. The opposition uh, the opposition to Saturn is a little more difficult. So if you've got something in Aquarius 
Um, and again, if the opposition, if your planet in Aquarius is at the beginning, this already would have happened. If it's at the end, you're just starting to feel it. What happens um, is that Saturn in an opposition will, instead of contracting something, it will just try to chop off the outer edges. Mm-hmm. And it'll try to um, have you abandon, sort of like um, letting go of, of the outermost energies. Hmm. So instead of pulling the energies in, Saturn's going to act like a cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. And the energy that gets cut off is going to feel just going to feel like a strong disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, what's left is going to be then reordered in the same way that it would on a conjunction. So in this case, because it's Saturn, a conjunction and an, and an opposition, there really isn't a big, a big difference in how it feels. Mm-hmm. It's still going to um, uh, have the energy come back to center. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of an opposition, it might feel more, more abrasive. And then it's going to reorder the energy and it's going to help you make it stronger. Saturn's case, Saturn's uh, point in an opposition and in a conjunction is to make you stronger, to make you more efficient, even though the first few phases, maybe even the first half of the aspect is going to feel disempowering. You're going to feel like you have less energy. Right. So conversely then, um, then we look to what Aquarius um, planets that you have and how they're being affected by Neptune mm-hmm. and its passage through that. Now, Neptune's transit is much, much slower. Right. So it's more limited in scope, whereas yes. you've, you've been able to give some great examples of how Saturn would have been mm-hmm. affecting everybody within the past year and the coming year. Mm-hmm. That really won't be the case with Neptune. No. In fact, if you had something at the beginning of, of Aquarius, which I happen to have, mm-hmm. um, Neptune would have affected you uh, seven, almost eight years ago. Right. If you have something at the tail end of Aquarius, you still won't feel it for another year. If it's at the very end, it might be two years before you feel it. With Saturn stuff. Uh, with, for, because of, yes, with, with, no, with Neptune. With Neptune, right, yeah. because mm-hmm. it's at 22. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, and it moves so slowly. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, literally the entire span of Saturn's influence in Leo is just about two years. The entire span of uh, Neptune in Aquarius is closer to 14. Mm-hmm. give or take. So um, what Neptune does when it crosses a point is instead of pulling the energy of that point in, it expands the energy and it gets it drunk. Mm-hmm. And so it has the energy on the outer edges expand even farther than they've ever gone before. And then they start stumbling around and mumbling to themselves. And, you know, each facet takes on uh, a whole new personality. Mm-hmm. So instead of having um, uh, pieces of your personality, you have whole personalities within your personality, right. which is kind of interesting. So it can make <laughs> you feel a little weird. Um, highly recommends, uh, most most astrologers that I know would highly recommend that when you are under the influence of Neptune, do not put yourself under the influence of any other mind-altering mm-hmm. uh, substance, particularly things uh, that are addictive, mm-hmm. because ne- the shadow side of Neptune is addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly with things like wine and uh, what's not so much in vogue anymore, but opium and some of the other really mind sort of either numbing or expanding um, uh, chemicals. I just had a flash to the romantic era and that the opium wine drinking, you know, that was going on at that time. It was really uh, indicative of of Mm -hmm. that. 
Yep. Yep. And so watch out for these things. If you have a tendency towards addiction, be more careful with with Neptune. Mm -hmm. Now, if uh, so, when Neptune, um, what Neptune is trying to do is Neptune is trying to get you in contact with the voice, Mm -hmm. if that's how you understand it. Not everyone understands it as a voice. Other people understand it as a feeling. Right. Still, other people understand it as a um, as a uh, uh, like just a rationality. But it, what it is is it's deep, 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 deep within you is a connection to literally all things. And Neptune is trying to help you get into contact with that. Mm-hmm. And so, whatever planet is being affected um, is going to have that experience. It's going to spread out your energy, and then it's going to help that energy find its way to this core of your being. Um, Some people find it through philosophy. Other people find it through religion. Other people find it through mystical experience. Other people find it through romance. Whatever your way, if it's a true way, Neptune's going to help you get there. The danger is if it's not a true way, Neptune's going to help you get there too. (laughs) (laughs) But when you get there, it's not going to be effective. When you get there, Uh. it's going to be confusing. And so practice caution when Neptune starts to uh, veer you off onto interesting paths. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's about this idea of connection, mm-hmm. wanting to connect with something larger. Yes. And there's all kinds of ways to do that, yes, um, yes, as we know. Uh, so if you, as you say, if it's not a, a way that's healthy, yeah. uh, you could find yourself connecting with something, but it's not an effective yeah and and connecting and we are we uh as astrologers are recommending that you don't do that Mm -hmm. because that's not safe and it's not funny to the people around you yeah um so (laughs) the idea is that that neptune might introduce you to a hundred paths and and three or four of them are um are the path that you need to be following so there's still a variation i mean it's not like there is one path out of 100 mm-hmm. there might be three or four mm-hmm. out of that 150 of them might be really really good for you right out of that 175 of them might be okay for you and 25 of them which is what we have left over from our little math experiment <laughs> are ranging from not helpful to downright um mm-hmm. um destructive to you and so um, here's a little trick with Neptune. You can always say no. Mm. And I highly recommend that you do that if Neptune is making you feel kind of funky. Um, so uh, watch yourself when it comes to Neptune. Well, it sounds like Saturn could be helpful in uh, bringing up some of those boundaries yep. um, or the ability to set boundaries yes. with Neptune. Yep. That's mm. the biggest talent that Saturn can have is limiting Neptune's scope. Mm-hmm. And the biggest talent that Neptune would have on Saturn is getting Saturn to quit being such a fuddy-duddy. <laughs> <laughs> but to any of the planetary influences, we always want to remember that we were installed with free will first. Yeah. Um, and uh, that installation is uh, free. It comes with our model. And we don't have to pay for any upgrades um, or, <laughs> or uh, downloads or, or downloads or yeah. anything like that. So free will, free will. Well, Sean, it's been a great pleasure chatting with you today about Saturn and Neptune and Thank all you. their glory, and very informative. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, again, people can find you at whirlingpearls.com. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay. whirlingpearls.com. And your services are listed there. Uh, they are listed there. There's also a phone number contact mm-hmm. listed there as well. And um, 
just uh, look forward to working with you again and working with anyone else who's interested. Definitely. I'd love to have you back. So thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can find me at www.evolutionsofastrology.com. If you have any questions for the show, please email me at dina at dinadicastro.com. Dina